0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Genesis chapter 2, and while you turn there, I'll pray for us. Father God, would you hear the prayers of our hearts right now? Lord, we pray that the meditations of all of our hearts... And the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill us full, fill us afresh, to listen well, to hear well. Think about all the times that Christ said when he was on earth, if you have ears to hear, I pray that we would have spiritual ears to hear this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be hearers of the word, doers of the word, and not merely hearers only. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 16. And we're looking at this morning, the necessity of forgiveness. Genesis chapter 2, start in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, My guess is most of us are very familiar with this passage. God has made Adam. Eve is about to be made. But as God is laying out the ground rules, so to speak, there was only one prohibition. But we oftentimes forget that in the context that was given, it's very important. Before God said there was one tree you couldn't eat from, he basically said there's a thousand trees you can't eat from. From all the other trees of the garden, you can eat freely. And in the Hebrew, it literally, it's like it just says, eat, eat, eat. That's the way you emphasize something. You repeat the word twice. You can indulge. You can indulge. You can have a feast. You can have a party. Eat as much as you want. But one tree, stay away from. And I heard somebody say one time, God is a God of a thousand yeses before he's ever a God of one no. And we oftentimes forget that about the character and the heart of God. And then skip down to verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed and this is telling us more than just something about the honeymoon. What it's trying to say is that in every way, spiritually, physically, emotionally, psychologically, the man and the woman, they had nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to fake. They didn't have to think about trying to put their best foot forward. They felt very comfortable with themselves. They liked themselves. They felt comfortable with God. They felt comfortable with one another. They felt comfortable with creation. There was nothing to be protected from. All was at peace, everything was serene. But we know that it doesn't stay that way very long. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And we learn later in the Bible that this is actually Satan coming in the form of a serpent. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So Satan comes into the garden, likely on day one, to bring an attack against God, against his character, against his people. And he really has a threefold deception, a threefold attack. And notice he doesn't necessarily tell an outright lie, it's more insinuations. He's so crafty, he's so shrewd. He more asks questions to plant Doubts and assumptions. There's a great Old Testament commentator, a guy named Derek Kidner. And part of what he says about this first question, Satan was planting the assumption in humankind's heart that God's word is subject to our judgment. That when we read the word, so to speak, metaphorically, we're standing above it, looking down on it, judging it. I like this part. I accept this part. I resonate with this part. This other part, not so much. Maybe I'll cut it out like Thomas Jefferson did with his Bible. I'll skip over it. I'll just conveniently forget about that part. Are we not tempted to read that Bible every day? Read the Bible that way every day. When better, again, metaphorically, we should read the Bible like this. We don't judge the Bible. The Bible judges us. The Bible asks us questions. The Bible looks at our life and says, you know what? This part seems to be going pretty well. Well done. This part, terrible. Terrible. Needs some cleanup on all three. And guys, just think about the way that in our culture today and even in the church, we are so tempted to question the word of God. Now, listen, please hear me. There is a humble way to question the word of God. Do you remember when the angel came to Mary? And this is the olden layman's translation. But they said, hey, teenage virgin, you're going to get pregnant. And she's like, I don't know much, but I know it doesn't work that way. How's it going to work? And again, Olin's layman translation, the angel just said, Trust me. (laughs) Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. It's going to happen. It was a humble question. She wasn't arrogant. She wasn't defiant. She's just like, I don't get it. And it's great when we come to the Bible in humility and say, I don't get it, Father. I want to understand. But there was another person about the same time that an angel came and said, Hey, you're going to have a son, even though you and your wife are both old and seem to be barren. And he questioned kind of like, Who are you? How do you know? And there was arrogance in his question. And the angel said, oh, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You won't be able to use that big mouth of yours for the next nine months until the baby's born. So question the Bible, but be careful how you do it. Have the attitude that Mary had. I mean, think about how many people today in the church read the Bible. It's very clear, very plain. There is a hell. It is eternal. We really don't like that. Understandably so. But we try to say, maybe it doesn't really mean that. Maybe eternal really doesn't mean eternal. The Bible is very clear about homosexuality. That's a hard pill to swallow in today's climate. Is it not? Does it really mean all of that stuff is out of bounds when so many people have these thoughts, feelings, desires? We question the Word of God. The next lie or insinuated lie is in verse 4. You will not surely die. Don't worry about it. God's a big talker. His bark is a lot worse than his bite. Don't worry about the consequences. It's not going to be that big of a deal. And again, I bet every single one of us could think of a sin in our life. We know it's sin. We know it's bad. We know it's wrong. But one of the reasons that we keep going back to it so often is we're like, I had not gotten burned that bad yet. I keep touching the hot stove. It doesn't seem to hurt. I don't seem to experience that many painful consequences. What's the big deal? And sometimes the wheels of justice grind slowly. Be careful. We can get ourselves into trouble. But up until this point, Eve seems to be doing well. She's kind of pushing back, arguing with the devil like we should when he brings these thoughts into our minds. But verse 5 is where they get into trouble because essentially the lie... The character assassination that Satan brought against God in verse 5 was this. God's not really good. God's not really loving. You can't really trust him. He might give you some good gifts, but he won't give you the best stuff. He is not out to help you. Ultimately, he's out to hinder you. He's out to hold you back. He's the man, and you've got to rebel against him. And you've got to take matters into your own hand. And a seed of doubt crept into their heart. And Sinclair Ferguson said a lie got into the human bloodstream that day. Basically that God is not good. God is not loving. God is not trustworthy. And thousands of years later, it's still in our bloodstream. We don't ultimately fully, deeply trust God. And once we start to have this doubt, maybe God's not going to provide. Maybe God's not going to protect. The next logical thought is, well, if God's not going to take care of me, somebody must. And who's it going to be? I guess I got to look out for number one. And we rise up in our pride and we're willing to break some rules to get what we think we need. And that's exactly what we see Adam and Eve doing in verse 6. It's about autonomy. I will take matters into my own hands to do what I think is best. Because I can't trust the big man upstairs anymore. They bought the lie. They bit the fruit. Now, it would have been wonderful if immediately after this, Adam and Eve had been convicted of their sin. Run to God. We're so sorry. We blew it. We We confess. We repent. Have mercy. I wonder how the story would have gone. But that's not what's happened. We just looked at the fall. And now we're going to see their falling condition. We could call the title of this sermon. The sin after the sin. Because so often what happens in our sin guys. Is when conviction starts to come. We don't quickly repent. We don't quickly confess. We double down in our sinful patterns. We double down in our pride and our doubt. God's not good. I can't trust him. So I got to fix this situation. Now, look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. Now, notice this, okay? They had been naked and unashamed. Now they do feel a sense of shame. One commentator said this shame is the overpowering feeling that inward harmony and satisfaction with oneself is disturbed. I heard somebody else say it this way. Guilt is a feeling that I did something wrong. Shame is deeper. Shame is not just I did something wrong. It's I am something wrong. I am broken. Not just that I do broken deeds. I'm a broken being. And they feel this. Now notice this, guys. Sin, I think sometimes we have far too, I know I do, far too small of you of sin. I had a buddy one time. He was actually on a beach project. Some of y'all have heard that. Campus Outreach takes students down to the beach, work jobs, do Bible studies at night, things like that. He was working at Wendy's and in the process of cutting tomatoes for all of Wendy's wonderful hamburgers, he literally sliced off just the tip of his finger. Now, didn't even get to the finger now. We're just talking skin. It was literally merely a flesh wound. And he's kind of a big baby crying about it, wanting to have the rest of the day work off. And uh, his boss said, just man, put some tape around that thing and keep cutting, Right? You cut off a little skin, it's no big deal, it'll grow back. I think many times we think about sin that way. A little bit of sin is just like a little slice, a little cut, it'll hurt a little bit, but it'll heal quickly, it'll grow back. When a better understanding of sin is like, it's like a bomb going off beside us. And even if you survive all the shrapnel, the explosion, the concussive force, you might suffer some of the painful consequences the rest of your life. One ounce of sin is never worth it, guys. This one seemingly very small sin. They took one bite of one piece of forbidden fruit. What's the big deal? It's going to shatter relationships in every direction. And the first way that they experienced that shattering was not even with God. It was with one another. Right? We mentioned this last week. They had been best friends. Greatest marriage of all time. Didn't last long. But at least there was this one marriage that for one day everything was wonderful. And now they don't trust each other. Don't look at me. I don't trust you. I don't know what you might be thinking about me. A lot of suspicion. So they're trying to cover up. Putting on loincloths. Grabbing the biggest leaves they can. But guys, even the order of how we're going to see them hide. Because there's multiple layers of their hiding here. Shows the devastating results of the fall and our fallenness. Guys, you know, sometimes you'll hear a preacher ask a question and he'll say, I don't want the Sunday school answer, right? You ever heard something like that? Okay. This is the time I do want the Sunday school answer. I'm going to ask you a question. I want the Sunday school answer. I want the right answer. Okay. When Adam and Eve first sinned, what relationship should they have been primarily concerned about? Their relationship with who? God. We know that instinctively, and yet they didn't. They didn't think about God at first. They thought about one another. And when we're living our normal lives, guys, not in church given the Sunday school answer, what relationship do we tend to put most of our time and mental energy into? The relationship with God or our relationship with other people? What does he think about me? What does she say about me? How do that group of people feel about me? What might they have been saying behind my back? We spend so much time and energy on that. It doesn't really matter in the long run. And not near enough energy about how are things going between me and the divine. And it started all the way back in the garden. Okay. Now, here's the point. This may be the most important point for some of us this morning. As soon as the sense of shame started to creep in, the sense of conviction and guilt Adam and Eve should have run straight towards God, crying out, forgive us. But rather they ran away from God and said, I can fix this. Rather than going to God and saying, we need forgiveness. They ran and hid and said, we got this. We got a plan. Fig leaves, aprons, hide behind the tree, everything will be fine. Didn't work out really well. They hid from one another. Then second, they hide from God. Look at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now another way, I said this a minute ago, if you want to emphasize something in the Hebrew, you could put the same word back to back. But another way in Hebrew, if you want to emphasize something, they didn't have the exclamation points like we do in English, is you could just put the word or the phrase at the beginning of the sentence. And you see that in verse 10. Adam essentially says, you're sound. You frightened me. I mean, God says, why are you hiding? And like, It's like, it's really your fault, God. You're a scary God. You're a loud God. You made me run away. He's not willing to talk about what's really going on. He's trying to blame God. Again, guys, we do this kind of stuff. We run deeper into our sins. We spiral down. We make it worse. We go to man made solutions to fix our problems rather than going to God. Listen, at this point, Adam and Eve, they sinned against each other. Adam had been a passive husband, a passive leader. He should have spoken up. He should have stomped on the head of the snake, not let the snake lie to his wife. Wife with Eve, she was a bad influence. She persuaded Adam into the sin. They both sinned. They sinned against God. They sinned against one another. But notice this. And you guys know this story. God comes into the garden like a loving father. Like a kind father. Longing to show mercy. I mean, I think you could almost say it this way. Anxious to show his compassion. And yet they are expecting wrath. They are expecting terror. And so they're running and hiding. God didn't come in the garden that day like a detective trying to solve a crime. Where'd you go, Adam? Imagine, it's after dinner, you have young kids. You tell your kids, hey, no more food, especially no more dessert, no more cookies. Put everything up, get ready for bed. You go upstairs to do something, you come down a couple minutes later, there's cookie crumbles all over the table, including on the mouth of your four-year-old. And if you say to him, buddy, did you eat a cookie after I told you not to? Again, you're not Sherlock Holmes, right? You're not desperately trying to solve the crime looking for clues. You already know the answer to your question. You're trying to elicit a confession. You're trying to teach them. When you sin, confess quickly. Don't hide, don't lie, don't cover up. That's what God was doing that day in the garden. But Adam and Eve were fearful. I remember I had a time, this was long ago in high school, and I don't even remember all the circumstances, but I do remember this. I had done something wrong, and I felt guilty about it. And I was trying to hide it and covered it up so nobody knew, but I was suspect that maybe people were finding out. And my father called me, and I answered the phone. And I had a sense of kind of inner trembling because I thought maybe he knew and judgment was coming. But he didn't know, he was just calling to say, Hey, how's your day going? He was just calling to be kind. But I had this fear and trepidation. Does that make sense? And guys, I often think that's the way we come into church. We come into worship. We come into our own personal time with the Lord. I bet God's really going to smack me down today for the way I've lived. And yet, He's coming in mercy. He's coming in kindness. Derek Kidner again. He said, shrinking from God remains part of our fallen condition. This is our natural sinful way now to respond. They hid from one another. There was a threefold lie. There's a threefold hiding. They hid from one another. They hide from God. And they're really even going to hide from themselves. Look at verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman. Remember what I said about you want to emphasize something? Put it at the front of the sentence. The woman. Whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree. And I ate. It's really her fault. God. And if you want an accomplice. Look in the mirror. It's your fault. I guess technically. I was duped. And I was there. Now I'm going to make a comment. That some of you. If you're my age or older. You'll understand. you remember. And I promise. There's no political implications of this. But we had a president many moons ago. A guy named Bill Clinton. Who was accused of. In more relationship with a young woman working in the White House, and he was on tape over and over. I did not have any sexual relations with this woman. And at some point, the prosecutor said, we, we have visible, tangible evidence. We, the woman is confessing, and he's like, okay, I did it. It's called a Bill Clinton confession. That's the way I call it, right? After, you, you're, you're busted. You're know, like, well, I guess I have to confess now. That's basically what you have from Adam and Eve. If they ask you to teach Sunday school next month and they're like, we want you to teach Sunday school and we'd like you to teach and give us a great example of what it looks like to repent and confess your sins. Don't look at Genesis 3. This is a terrible example. This is about the most bare minimum example of confession and repentance you can find in the whole Bible. Because you have God himself coming and saying, I'm going to tell you what you should say. I'm going to feed you your confession basically. And finally, Adam gets it right. Verse 13, Eve follows suit. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. They finally confess. After God prompts them multiple times. We see the fall. We see their fallen condition, their fallen result, their fallen response to sin after the sin. And now we're going to look at forgiveness And guys, one of the biggest dangers of growing up in the church. Some of you at breakfast heard my testimony, right? Going to church as long as I can remember. And probably for many of us in the southeast, in the Bible Belt, it's the same way. Been in church the majority of our lives. Which, for the most part, is a gigantic blessing. But here's at least one of the dangers that comes with that. We get bored and tired and numb with marvelous truths. I just got to tell the story because I'm here. I was, I was teaching Sunday school at Redeemer in the old building 20 plus years ago. And we were doing James. So just, you know, take 10 verses from James and just go through it. And we happen to be in the passage, James chapter 2, that just makes a reference back to Abraham's faith and Abraham sacrificing Isaac, right? Many of you remember that story. And so I just mentioned it casually. You know, Abraham in the Old Testament, when God told him to sacrifice Isaac and he was willing to do it. Well, one of the guys who'd become a Christian at UNA that didn't grow up in the Bible Belt, I think he was from Canada. I don't know how he got down here, but he did. He came to Christ. After it was over, he kind of comes up to me with eyes big as saucers. He's like, dude, he's like, I didn't hear anything else you said about James after you mentioned that whole Abraham thing. I had to go back to Genesis and read that story. I'd never heard that before. I thought he was going to kill his own kid. And there was a fresh sense, appropriately, of shock and awe. Does that make sense? Guys, we ought to be shocked and awed that Genesis 3 didn't get verse 8 and just have a splat. And God just said, Judgment, you're all wiped out. End of the story. Forgiveness didn't always exist. Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's the book of creation. This is the creation account. And one of the things that God created was forgiveness. It's God's invention. God likes forgiveness. God likes to show us forgiveness. And He initiates. I love the song we just sang. Never heard it before. But God started this whole thing. He initiates. And He wants us to respond. So look at just let start in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and on the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, there's, this was a splat for Satan. It was pure judgment. And let me just tell you another story because I think this might bring, in a right way, some of the fresh shock and awe that I'm talking about home to us. Another, I promise, I won't have Beach Project stories every week, but I just have two this week, okay? So a few years ago on a Beach Project... And part of what we do if we have student leaders, we, we make them what we call room leaders. And they have like a little discipleship group with either these baby Christians or non-Christians. And uh, it's amazing that it works out at all. Uh, but a few years ago, had one of these student leaders come up to me and said, Olin, i got a question, something I've never dealt with before. I said, okay, what is it? He said, one of the guys in my room, every night we pray before we go to bed, he prays that Satan would get saved. And I've, I've been doing this a long time. I'm like, I've heard a lot of things. i never heard that one. And he said, what should I tell him? I said, well, listen, in the grand scheme of things, the guy's a baby believer. He, there, he could be doing worse things. I wouldn't make a big deal about it. He's like, no, but he wants to talk about it. I said, okay. So we tell him this. The Bible makes it clear. Satan is not going to get saved. The end is written. Satan goes to hell. So you can just, it, this can be something about the authority of God's word. I said, but you know what? This is what's really interesting. When the angels fell, when Satan and the angels rebelled, there's not one shred of evidence that God ever said we need to make a plan to save some angels. Second person of the Trinity. Would you incarnate and become an angel? Live among the fallen angels. Live a perfect angelic life. Die for these rebellious angels. Suffer for them so that we can redeem some of them. When the angels rebelled, God just said, Wrath. Judgment. You did the crime, you'll do the time for all eternity. There was no mercy. And you know what? He's glorious. We can't fault him for one second. Because judgment is the norm. Mercy is the exception, guys. Mercy is the extra. And so when we get to verse 15, and technically it's still the curse on Satan, but even there it's the first announcement of the gospel. There's this little promise. We shouldn't be bored. We shouldn't be numb. We ought to be flabbergasted and amazed. Look at verse 15. Still speaking to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So there's a promise. Satan, you're not gonna to win today. Adam and Eve aren't gonna follow you. There's gonna be a war between people and you. Adam and Eve are gonna stay alive, at least in a manner of speaking. Physically, they are. They're gonna keep going. They're gonna have babies. And one day they're gonna have a great, 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 on and on, and on grandbaby. And you're gonna test him, and he's gonna crush you. Now he does proceed, like I said. There's a ditch on both sides of the road, guys. There's a ditch of legalism over here where we don't really understand forgiveness and we think we have to work for our salvation and that won't work. But there's a ditch over here of license where we get so addicted to grace that we think we can sin with impunity and get away with it. God was a merciful God. He still is a merciful God. And yet there were consequences to their sin. Look at verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Here's the essence of what he's saying. Women women have a special gift for relationships that's unique to them. But they're going to be cursed in that special gift. And even in the relationships that they're supposed to be the closest with their husbands, with their children, there's going to be pain. There's going to be hardship. To the man, verse 17. And Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to the dust you shall return. Men have a special gift for work that's unique to them. But in that special gift, they're going to be cursed. You're going to go to work. You're going to produce. In one sense, it's going to still work for you. But it's going to be mind-numbingly frustrating at times. Verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Guys, have you ever thought about this question? <laughs> Are Adam and Eve going to be in heaven? Let's talk about that. Let's just talk about Adam for this second. Okay? Look at verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve. And probably a lot of your Bibles have a little footnote in the ESV. Mine says, Eve sounds like Hebrew for life giver and resembles the word for living. And then you notice it says, because she was the mother of all living. Eve essentially he says, Hey, I'm gonna nickname you mama. (laughs) Now, here's the thing how many kids do they have at this point? I don't have any babies. What's going on here? This is a step of faith. This is Adam stepping back into his right role as a spiritual leader of that family. He said, You know what? I heard the promise of verse 15. We're not gonna die. We're going to stay alive. We're going to have babies. And have any babies yet? But he took a step of faith, trusting the promise of God. God's as good as his word. It's going to happen. This is salvation for Adam. And then look at verse 21. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. Adam and Eve didn't die that day. But some little innocent animal did die. So that they could have a cloak that would work. That would be nice. That would be made by God. And guys, this is the first foreshadowing in the Bible. Of the innocent Lamb of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. The eventual son of Adam and Eve. Who would come to earth. Who would incarnate among us. Who would live the perfect life that all of us are supposed to live. But we can't do it. He would go to the cross and die the death under the wrath of God that you and I deserve to die. But we don't want to die. Not in that way. And he would rise again so that we could be clothed in his righteous robe of 33 years of righteous living in our place. Maybe the most important question you can ask yourself is this. Do I have forgiveness? Do I have forgiveness from God? Everything else is a distant second. And guys, forgiveness is a necessity on planet Earth. It's a necessity in our walk with God. It's a necessity in our walks with one another. But praise God. He didn't leave it up to us to figure it out. He initiated. He started. He pursued. Derek Kidner, again, he has this great phrase where he says, you can't hide from God. You can only hide in Him. That's the solution to the greatest problem in life is not to run away from God. It's to run to God and to hide in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's provision for our sin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word, for your life, for your death, for your resurrection, for your spirit. I pray if there's anyone hearing this that has not closed with you, that has not fully trusted in you, that has not repented of their sins, that has not been saved, that you would have mercy on them in this moment and open the dead blind eyes of their heart to see and understand their sin and your mercy. And God, I pray for all of us that hear this, that know that we're in Christ. There would be the appropriate sense of shock Of all thanksgiving, of gladness, and out of the overflow of our hearts, we would want to obey you, not because we're trying to earn anything, but just because we love you, and it's our delight to honor you, to please you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.